Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. All right, everybody, welcome back to this episode of the podcast. This is going to be episode number 22. Thank you for joining me. It's great to have you here. I'm very happy to be joined by uh, you folks to study this material with me and to study it with the Founding Fathers. Uh, We're going to have some good letters here today. We're going to cover a particular issue. It's going to be very, well, I don't know about very different. It's going to be, it's going to, it's going to strike some similar tones to what we've been talking about the last two episodes, but it's, it's on a very specific event that, that transpired. And I think it's going to be a very good discussion. It needs to be had, and it's very, it's a very important one at that. Also, uh, another item I wanted to touch on just for um, clarification purposes, I did get a question for some from somebody with regards to how to set up a Patreon account to listen to my podcast, or more specifically, how to join the podcast over on Patreon, um, the, the version of the podcast I do over there. And what it involves is, you, you know, when you go to the website, when you click the link in the description box to this podcast and you go to that website, it, you know, it has a, you know, a button where you can join the podcast. And what you have to do is you have to actually create a Patreon account in order to be able to do that. So you go to the Patreon main site, you create a wet, you create an account, and then you log in and then you can go to my site. And then you can join the podcast. Subscription fee, of course, on the Patreon side. So if you're not interested in paying a subscription for a podcast, don't worry about it. But if you want to get access to that podcast, that's how you do that. And I just recorded another episode and, and dropped another episode over there on a, on a, on a, on a topic I think um, it's very interesting. Uh, if it wasn't interesting, I don't, I don't think I would have touched on it. But I, I, I did think it was interesting. And it's really on the internet of yesterday versus today. And some of the differences in there, especially, especially as it pertains to societal connections. And if you want to, so if you want to hear a commentary on something like that, if you're interested in that topic, there's an episode over there for you. And, and other episodes on other topics too. So, with that said, we're going to talk about an incident that happened in, in 1774. And this is going to connect very directly to what's going to happen in 1775. This is one of those episodes. I think all the episodes of this podcast are important, but this one's really important. This is gonna this is gonna reveal to you a little bit of the mindset of the colonists at the time in 1774, as we're approaching the late year, the late of 1774. That is to say, the latter part of the year. And I hope that this this proves to be very revealing an insight to you as to what was going on at the time, but more specifically, what the colonists were thinking. What was their motivation? What was driving them? And what what was on their mind? What worried them? What were they afraid of? This is what we're going to talk about. This is important, too, because this is the stuff you're not really going to get a thorough picture of in history class in middle school, high school, or even at the university in many cases. It's just not going to happen. This this podcast is going to be, because of this episode and others like it, is going to be a much more informative experience and education about the Founding Fathers than anything you're ever going to get at the university. I'm just going to put that out there right now. A bunch of university professors are like, oh, no, Roman, don't you dare. How dare you, sir? How dare you? How dare you say that? Well, it's just it's just the truth because you could take a semester length course in this stuff, but this podcast is going to go on for a lot more than a semester. We've already got a half a semester worth of work done on this podcast. Think about that. It's just going to keep going and going and going. So 
you know, there's no way a, a history class at the university can compete with this podcast as far as time. Uh, now that said, you have to you have to dedicate the time to do it. Uh, you have to actually dedicate the time to listen to this podcast. But I, I make it as easy as I possibly can for you, so you don't have to delve into the books and the letters and all the rest of it. We've covered that before. But without further delay, let's talk about a very very important incident in the beginning of the United States of America in 1774, and let's do that right now. All right, let's get ready to rock and roll. Are you ready to rock? Uh, Right right now, we're going to actually go to a letter from a Samuel Cooper. He's going to be our primary guest on the podcast today, and he's going to be writing a letter to Benjamin Franklin. Uh, Mr. Cooper is going to tell us a little bit about the incident that occurred in September of 1774. What incident, pray tell? Why, Roman, what incident would you be referring to? Well, this particular incident was one where British soldiers were ordered by General Gage, who again was the military governor of Massachusetts, placed there by the tyrant King George III. And this incident was alleged to have happened in the pre-dawn hours, by the way, of September the 1st. 1774. So this is like one of those morning raids that you see take place by military, in any given military around the world. Like, for an example, in the United States military, this would be like, you know, the Navy SEALs, you know, doing a halo drop. Um, And if you don't know what halo means, high altitude, low open. A halo drop into a random part of the world in the middle of the night to do a pre-dawn raid on some terrorist camp, or who knows what, to go uh, roust and... uh, capture or kill the bad guys. Except we're not going to be capturing any bad guys or killing anybody here. That's not what the troops were up to. The troops were up to something very, very different. The troops were out there to uh, acquire a particular material that was being held in a town uh, or just outside of a town. And and we're going to talk about this. This is very interesting. I'm going to start, this letter starts off with just an update as to what is going on in Massachusetts. And he's he's trying to update uh, Dr. Franklin about this, and along the way, we are going to run headlong into this particular incident that that got a lot of people up and moving. Uh, this this really upset some folks in Massachusetts and very nearly started a revolutionary war. Now, in a few months' time, that revolutionary war will be started, but it almost happened in September of 1774. What in the world happened? Okay, well, let's get into it. So I'm going to read from this letter at the beginning. Quote, My last was on 15 August, in which I gave you some account of the state of our affairs about 26 of the council appointed by the king took the oath, since which one half, not being able to stand the public odium, have resigned. All who now hold the commission, not living in Boston, have retired here under the protection of the army, end quote. Okay, uh, so we have ourselves a bit of a situation here. Remember again, in the Intolerable Acts, one of these acts was meant to disrupt the legislatures, the councils, the assemblies, etc. of the province of Massachusetts, the colony of Massachusetts. And the problem with that is, is, you know, these people took it very seriously. Uh, imagine if some tyrant decided to disrupt your assemblies, your local representatives, your town councils, your county commissions, your state legislatures. Imagine that. That would probably get you upset. At least it should. Honestly, I wonder if there's much of anything that would upset half the country these days. That is to say the United States. And I, I say half. I'm just ballparking it. I mean, it could be 20%, 30%. There's a good number of people in this country today, and honestly, around the world, who just seem content to just do nothing about anything. Uh, I mean, I'm thoroughly convinced that some tyrant king could probably visit a great many cities inside the United States and, and just burn the city hall to the ground. 
And I wonder if there's very many citizens at all in those towns that would uh, pull themselves away from their Netflix long enough to actually do anything about it. In some towns, there certainly would be. I mean, in some towns, in some towns, you'd have yourself a uh, you'd have yourselves a full on situation uh, if if uh, some tyrant king decided to do something like that. But in other towns in the United States, huh? Uh-uh. No, not really. And that's sad. That's a sad commentary. So, uh, thank goodness for the good people of Massachusetts in 1774 to teach us a lesson about this. So, despite the fact that they're trying to manipulate the council here, this council appointed by the king, apparently, a bunch of them left, quote, since which one half, not being able to stand the public odium, have resigned. All who now hold the commissions not living in Boston have retired here under the protection of the army, end quote. So not only did they leave the council, they cut and ran to seek the protection of the army. I mean, this, this is a, this is a, they, they just, they can't stand the actual public outcry of this, you know, tyranny that's trying to be set up here in Massachusetts. Because again, think about it. Some people might say, well, this is happening in Massachusetts because of the Boston Tea Party and a few other things. It wasn't, it wasn't happening in Virginia or Pennsylvania, etc. Well, if the people went along with this in Massachusetts, like if everybody was just in lockstep, you know, they were too busy watching their Netflix to uh, to do anything about any of this. How long do you think it would take before the king did this in other colonies? Just to just basically power grab and take control of everything. I, I don't think it would take very long at all. I think he'd be like, my gosh, I'm, I think I'm onto something here. These these uh, these Americans over here uh, in the colonies, they're a bunch of pushovers. I can just steamroll these people all day long, and they just, they won't do anything about it. Thank goodness. I tell you what, my tyranny's gonna reign supreme. Bring down the hammer. That's what tyrants typically always do. Don't ever, don't ever roll over for those people. You know, it's, it's, you're not doing yourself any favors by, uh, by just kowtowing to the central power. You're not. And the people in Boston, Massachusetts are trying to communicate that to us. And you see the great friction between the people who serve the king versus the actual people of Massachusetts here. Let's continue on. Quote, Our Superior Court of Justice met here with the Chief Justice at their head, but the juries to a man refused to serve. The courts through the province are at an end. Sheriffs, justices, clerks have either made their peace with the people by solemnly promising not to act upon the new laws or have fled to this poor prescribed town as an asylum. The Lieutenant Governor, who was obliged to resign his commission as Chancellor at his house in Cambridge, being surrounded with 4,000 people and his neighbors. Sewell, the Attorney General, Sheriff Phipps, Borland, etc., live in Boston, end quote. Wow. So he says, quote, the courts through the province are at an end, end quote. And then he also says this, quote, our Superior Court of Justice met here with the Chief Justice at their head, but the juries, to a man, refused to serve, end quote. Why'd they refuse to serve? Because they're trying, to, again, the king is trying to alter the court. He's trying to change the court of Massachusetts. And isn't this what tyrants always do? I want you to pay very close attention to this. This is one of those moments again, folks. I'm going to say it. Are you, I'm going to say it. Some folks are out there. Oh my gosh, he's going to say it. He's about ready to say it, I can tell. Pay attention. Pay attention. The courts are being altered by a tyrant. The tyrant is trying to change the court to bend it to his purposes. Do you, do, you, do you feel it? He said it very plain and clear. And to, and, and and thank goodness again for the people of Massachusetts in 1774. I tell you what, the people of Massachusetts today should forever, forever be grateful and be proud to be the people of Massachusetts because of these men and women of 1774. Because, quote, the juries to a man refused to serve, end quote. The juries knew that these courts were being altered in such a way that it would just benefit the king, so they said, to heck with this, we're not, we're not going to participate. We're done here, folks. We're done. 
So tyrants will do this. When they want to press their power and oppress the people, oftentimes you will hear talk of changing the courts and repurposing them to oppress the people. Keep an eye on this, and don't ever let this happen wherever you are in the world, be it in the United States or elsewhere. This is something you have to be very, very cautious of. The people of Massachusetts in 1774 were not going to let this get past them. They were going to stand firm and say, Not on my watch. Will you do the same? Are you going to let some tyrant king stack the court with his men? Changing, like, a hundred plus years of tradition in Massachusetts. There was a tradition in place here of, of these courts in Massachusetts. There's a way to do this. There's a, there's a specific process for doing this. And as long as you follow that particular process, these people had no problems with the courts, apparently, at least as best as I can tell. I'm sure they had some issue with it, but not like this. It's when you change those traditions... When you change that process, that's when you run into a problem here with these people of Massachusetts, and rightfully so. And what about these 4,000 people who gathered at the lieutenant governor's house in Cambridge? What's going on with the 4,000 people? Anybody anybody catch that one? Well, we're going to come back to that. I'm not going to talk about that right now because that has to do with some, the, the big issue in, the, in this podcast episode. We're getting to it, folks. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to circle back to that. Let's continue on. Quote, town meetings are held all over the province, even at Salem and in Danvers. While General Gage resided there, with a regiment and two additional companies, he indeed ordered a warrant to be made out against the Committee of Correspondence in Salem who called the meeting. Two gave bonds for their appearance, three refused, and were let alone. The justice, I am told, who issued the warrant, has since acknowledged his error, asked pardon of the people. These things have been affected chiefly by county meetings composed of delegates from the several towns, end quote. Uh-huh. So town meetings are being held. So I want you to picture this in your mind. Imagine your city today. Something's going on with your local town, your local county, whatever, and there's a meeting being called. Hey, why don't you come down to this meeting, town council, whatever. Some kind of meeting local to you. Could be could be anywhere. A lot of times these things are held in town council meetings, city hall, other other public buildings in and around your, your residence, your town of residence, that is. So you're just calling a meeting. I mean, that's all this is. Towns do this all the time, right? Call a meeting, you meet, you, you discuss things. And what does the uh, dictator-in-chief uh, here, General Gage, the military governor of Massachusetts, what does he do? Quote, he indeed ordered a warrant to be made out against the Committee of Correspondence in Salem who called the meeting, end quote. So he actually gets the law enforcement people to chase down the people at the meeting. I mean, for crying out loud, who in the world would do something like that except a tyrant? Who in the world would do such a thing? You're just having a meeting for Pete's sake. So imagine if you or anyone else you know, or maybe somebody you don't know, just somebody around you, somebody else in the state or whatever, decided to have a meeting in the local town for any particular purpose, and including, you know, to take uh, themselves down to the, the city council and voice an opinion about something, whatever. And the tyrant governor or some other central power sent in the law enforcement to arrest you or otherwise investigate you. The people who called the meeting, the people at the meeting, and whatever, what have you. You think that could possibly happen in this day and age? Because, again, we, we circle, I circle back to this every once in a while. This concept, people think this can't happen again. People think, oh, well, the, the Founding Fathers took care of this. They sent General Gage packing. They sent King George packing. And the United States was founded. We have our rights, and that's the end of it. That's, that's not the end of the story, folks. It's not. You think this can't happen again? It can. I want you to think real long and hard about this example. I want you to think very, very long and hard about this particular example and tell me if this can't happen again. Keep an eye on this one. What do you do when a tyrant starts doing stuff like this? Well, I'll tell you what, there was a judge in 1774 who did the right thing. Quote, The justice, I am told, who issued the warrant has since acknowledged his error, asked pardon of the people. End quote. 
Well, thank goodness for that justice. He 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 understood this is wrong. You know, the military dictator of Massachusetts, General Gage, he's wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. I ask pardon of the people, so on and so forth. That's the right thing to do. I don't know if that would happen today. People are pretty arrogant in this day and age. And part of the problem with that is, I mean, if this were to happen today, I, I think far too many people would be too busy watching Netflix to actually contact the justice and tell him, hey, what are you doing over here? And so the justice would think, well, everybody's kind of going along with it. I guess it's okay. I, 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 I really do rag on Netflix pretty bad, don't I? I'm, I'm, always, I'm always about the Netflix and the distractions, and there's a legitimate gripe to be had there. But uh, I, I, use, I use Netflix as kind of a foil, you know, so, you know basically target practice for my various um, arrows that I, that I throw out there uh, about the distractions that often, um, often you know, occasion these kinds of incidents. So don't, don't take it too seriously, my, my criticism of Netflix. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's, it's really just, it stands in place of a lot of things. Let's just put it that way. Let's continue. Quote, a provincial congress of delegates from all the counties is soon to be held at Concord. The people say their all is at stake. They act only in the defensive. Should they allow the new regulations to take place, property and life are at the mercy of men incensed against them. And they should soon be incapable of making any opposition, even a commercial one, end quote. Now, what does that mean? Quote, and they should soon be incapable of making any opposition, even a commercial one, end quote. Now, a commercial one, what they're talking about there is what we've frequently referred to as the non-consumption or non-importation slash boycott that the colonists are considering against Great Britain. They're considering boycotting British goods to uh, lash out at Britain for violating their their just rights and what did i say in episode 21 about, i think it was episode 21 about kicking the can down the road and how you probably shouldn't do that and we had a couple of people a mr tudor and a mr holly our letters that we read on episode 21 tell us exactly why you don't kick the can down the road or more specifically they they told us that they didn't believe in kicking the can down the road. And generally speaking, we know from we know from the history that a great many of the founding fathers of this country did not believe in kicking the can down the road. Because what happens when you do, quote, and they should soon be incapable of making any opposition, even a commercial one, end quote. That's what, that's what, that's what they were talking about. Eventually, they're going to be worked up into a state where they can't even, they can't even fight against this stuff. That's why they said in the last episode, it is now that we must assert our liberty. I'm paraphrasing slightly, but that's what they said. Go back and listen to episode 21 if you haven't. They didn't say, in five years' time is when we must assert our liberty. They didn't say, oh, when my children are grown up, that's when they need to assert their liberty. I'm, I'm too busy. I can't be bothered to do it. I got Netflix and other things. There I go with the Netflix again. But you get you get the point. Don't, don't, don't kick the can down the road. Just don't, you know, and I, I, I really do marvel at the folks who think that the Founding Fathers, again, in these letters and these writings have absolutely nothing to teach us, so they don't study this history. Now, I know you folks know different. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here studying this this information with you. There's a lot to learn here, folks. These guys have a lot of lessons to teach us. You know, that, that peace and tranquility are often tempting things, but you really don't want to sell out liberty for peace and tranquility. It's not going to end well. Now, Let's get to the meat of this uh, this episode of the podcast. We're gonna, I'm going to read you about the incident that took place. This pre-dawn raid that took place in September of 1774, ordered by General Gage, out into the province of Massachusetts. Quote, The people assembled at Cambridge were landholders, led by captains of the towns, representatives, committee men. The selectmen and committee of correspondence for this town went from hence to confer with them and prevent things from coming to extremities. For a rumor had been propagated that the whole country, incensed at the governor's taking the provincial powder by a party of soldiers from Charlestown, 
and inflamed by false reports were coming to Boston to demand the restitution of the powder in the face of the army. Happily, this did not prove true, and if there were many misapprehensions in the body, they were removed by the representations of the gentlemen from Boston who observed to them that the governor had a right to dispose of the provincial military stores, though not those belonging to the towns, which he had not as yet touched. This movement of the governor occasioned, however, an extensive alarm. Reports flew through the country that he was disarming the inhabitants of Boston and seizing all the ammunition through the province, and that the fleet and army had attacked the town. These false reports being credited for a while, many thousands of people, especially in the western parts of the province, were immediately in arms and in full march for this place to relieve their brethren or share their fate. Thousands were in motion from Connecticut, for the New England provinces are one in sentiment, and spirit upon these matters. But being informed of the facts, they quietly returned home, sending their messengers from all quarters, signifying their determination to act unitedly upon any warrantable occasion, end quote. Goodness gracious, that's all, it's a fairly lengthy paragraph, so thank you for bearing with me through that. So what happened? What in the world took place here? Quote, for a rumor had been propagated that the whole country incensed at the governor's taking of the provincial powder by a party of soldiers from Charlestown, and inflamed by false reports, were coming to Boston to demand the restitution of the powder in the face of the army. End quote. So they had gotten it in their heads that General Gage had moved out from the city and seized powder out in the country. And powder, if you don't know what I'm talking about, that's gunpowder. So that would be like uh, a military governor or dictator today moving out into the United States to seize bullets and ammunition. That's that's the sa it's the same thing. And this really did ha this really did happen by the way. Now, it, what happened was, I'll, I'll explain to you what happened. What happened was is General Gage did order his soldiers to go out into the country into one particular town and and take the powder belonging to the king. Basically, it was a provision that was stowed there for the purposes of the king's army, should they ever be needed. And he took it and hauled it back uh, to either Cambridge or Boston. I'm not entirely certain as to exactly what happened to the powder after they took it, but they did. They did go out and take powder. They did apparently do it in the early morning hours of September the 1st, as I understand it. And this... I mean, think about that. I mean, why in the world would you do it under those circumstances? You do it in a clandestine way. You don't announce it beforehand. You say, you say, you don't, you don't issue an announcement to the people. Hey, by the way, we're sending some troops out to your local town here. We're gonna, we're gonna retrieve the the king's powder. Not anybody else's. We're not taking anybody else's firelocks, and we're not taking firelocks again being firearms. We're not taking the firelocks, and we're not taking anybody else's powder. Not the town's powder. We're just taking those provision to the king. They didn't stay. I'm. It seems like they didn't announce it. And they didn't just send a few guys out there in the middle of the day to go get this stuff. They sent a military unit in the early morning hours doing some kind of a pre-dawn raid kind of situation to go out there and get this stuff. Now, why in the world did they do it under those circumstances? Honestly, I'm, not, I'm still to this day not entirely sure why they did it that way. And you can imagine how this would just raise alarms all across the colony. That military troops are executing some kind of a pre-dawn raid to steal powder and munitions. This is some incendiary stuff. This is the kind of stuff that gets people shooting. I'm going to say that one more time. This is the kind of stuff that gets people shooting. And it does in 1775. And it almost happened here in 1774. Now, 
let's pick apart this. Now that we know what happened, now that we know that this 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 basically this adventure by the king's troops to go out and and, and collect some some of the king's powder from a, from a local uh, municipality out in the colony of Massachusetts. Now that we know what happened, let's dissect this thing. And, and f once the alarm was raised, let's go through this a little bit and talk about it. I find it interesting that it was the selectmen and the committee of correspondence for the town that went to confer with the British representatives at Cambridge. Isn't this interesting? Quote, The people assembled at Cambridge were landholders, led by captains of the towns, representatives, committee men. The selectmen and committee of correspondence for this town went from hence to confer with them and prevent things from coming to extremities. End quote. Now, isn't that interesting? It was basically the leadership of the town, and the towns, plural, that went out to actually, not just them, but it was partly them that went out with the people to confront the army about this. It says they went to confront the army. It said, quote, coming to Boston to demand the restitution of the powder in the face of the army, end quote. These people weren't messing around. Now, uh, here's a question that pops up. I always, a question, when I read this stuff, it's very easy to read this stuff and just kind of cruise past. Oh, okay, yeah, the town leadership came out. Stew on that for a little bit. Think about that. Does your leadership in your town sound like that type of person that would move out with the local population into the state and confront an offense, an alleged offense such as this, against the people? This kind of offense against the people, would they do that? Would they take their time to actually move out with the people to confront the army? about this? Or would they just kind of sit on their can like a bureaucrat and write a letter or vote or have a meeting or something like that? They didn't do that. These people actually got up, marched across the colony of Massachusetts and went to square off with the army. And rightfully so. That's exactly what they should have done. Do you see your town council doing that today? And if the answer is no, you probably ought to find a different town council. I'm just putting it out there. And how do you know that? How, how do you know whether or not that should be a criteria for selecting a town council or for voting for somebody for town council if you don't study this history. The answer is you won't. You won't even know it. You won't even think about it. You won't even think that this particular scenario could happen to you because it can. I mean, obviously, I mean, for, my, for, for our friends listening across the world, a great many of you folks don't have any capability of owning firearms in the first place. You don't have a Second Amendment. There's no recognition of a well-regulated militia like we talked about in Episode 13, and I'm sorry about that. You, you folks, um, at the earliest opportunity, should endeavor to fix that problem. To the extent you see it as a problem, I do. I see it as a problem. I'm not going to tell you what to do in your own country, but... You know, if you're if you, if anybody asked me and said, "Hey, hey, Roman, what do you think about?" Well, I think it's a problem, but because again, General Washington thought it was the uh, the only staple of a, I forget exactly his words. I'm paraphrasing slightly. He was he thought it was the only staple of a free society. We read we read that in episode 13. Go back and go back and look at the exact words in episode 13. We went through it at length. But the, these folks, these these landholders, these captains of the towns and selectmen were not a bunch of bureaucrats. These people went on the march over this issue. I only wish every every town councilman or county commissioner, whatever what have you, had the fortitude today to do something like that. Wouldn't that be something to see? And what happened when they got there? You know, there because there was this rumor that the town's powder and that other people's powder were being seized and taken. What was the because this this extensive alarm again? I'm going to read it to you. Quote: Reports flew through the country that he was disarming the inhabitants of Boston and seizing all the ammunition through the province, and that the fleet and army had attacked the town, end quote. Now, that was a false report. Somebody exaggerated something along the way, and it got out of, it got out of hand. That's what they thought had happened. And so they went out there to march 
and square off with the army. Think about that. I want you to think about a group of citizens and their city council today marching out of a, of a town in the United States of America to square off with the army. Now, heaven forbid anything like that should ever have to happen. But if it has to happen, then it should happen. I'm just going to put it out. Because, because, again, it comes down to a simple statement. Do you agree with what the people of Massachusetts did, or do you disagree with it? And personally, I agree with it. I think they were fully justified with the information that they had in hand. They were fully justified in doing what they did. Now, and they did it the right way. What do I mean by that? Well, General Gage's people, when they got there, General Gage's people apparently said to them that they did remove the king's powder, but not the town's powder. And not only that, but they didn't have any right to remove the town's powder. They didn't do it. So even the, even the, even the military dictator of Massachusetts says he has no right to do that. Did you catch that? Quote, the governor had a right to dispose of the provincial military stores, though not those that belonged to the towns, which he had not as yet touched. End quote. He didn't touch it. He didn't have any right to do so. So they said, they said the governor has a right to dispose of provincial military stores, but not those belonging to the town. They admit it. And once that, once these selectmen and these city council members and all the rest of it figured, they were told this when they went there. They, they said, okay, then oh, everything's fine. Everything's fine. We're moving on. Quote, but being informed of the facts, they quietly returned home, sending all of their messengers from all quarters, satis signifying their determination to act unitedly upon any warrantable occasion, end quote. So they said, nothing to see here. Everybody just kind of, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everybody go back to what, everybody go back to where you came from. But we are united and determined that we will act upon any warrantable occasion. In other words, when the situation warrants it, we are going to act. We're not going kick to kick the can down the road. We're not going to play footsie. And we're not going to play silly time. And they're definitely not going to be watching Netflix. They're gonna they're gonna actually do something about it. There you go. And I, you know, in, in you know, 250 years later, I, I thank the people of Massachusetts for standing up for their rights. That's a, it's a it's a beautiful thing when people stand up for their rights, especially in this manner. They went out there and they marched. They did it professional, and they engaged with the people who allegedly committed the offense. Found out there was no offense, and then just went back. That's how you do it. No reason to start a start a kerfuffle over here over anything that's not an issue. These were, and that, that gets you to the temperament of the Founding Fathers. Some people will portray these people as angry, hateful, hot-headed, rabble-rousing, just itching for a reason to shoot people and kill them, trigger finger, all the usual accusations that are levied at anybody like this, any liberty-loving patriot like this, but that is not who these people were. And this incident in 1774 reflects that 110%. And anybody who says otherwise is a liar, because this is the evidence of the day, and this is real history, folks. That's why I read it straight out of this correspondence, and I give you the context around it, so you know what happened. So, unfortunately, there were some false reports, you know, but when people hear stuff like this, when they hear about clandestine military raids or something happening in the middle of the night or the early morning hours when they're not there to see it, nobody told them about it. There's not any transparency. There's not any clear communication. It looks like somebody's hiding something. This is the kind of thing you get. And it's, it's not necessarily the people's fault. I mean, whoever, whoever inflamed, whoever, you know, exaggerated the news, that's, it's their fault. But the people generally who went out there and marched, it's not their fault. And honestly, it's in part, it's the, it's, it's General Gage's fault because he wasn't transparent and he wasn't clear about what he was doing. And he didn't do it in the middle of the day when he should have done it. You don't go out there in the middle of the night doing this kind of stuff with the military in your own country. You don't do that. So if something is perceived to be stolen, you know, you know, the, this, this general gauge should have made every effort to show the people that it was not stolen, but he didn't really do that in the beginning. They had to go out there and they had to get the information themselves.
And and these these people are obviously operating on a knife's edge. These people are hanging on the edge. They reacted very quickly and very determined when they heard this happened. These people are on edge, you can tell. And why is that? It, it's not their fault. These people are under a military governor. Their rights are being stripped away from them. A tyrant in the central power is working some brand of tyranny that these people haven't really seen before with the intolerable acts. And they're stripping the legislatures, the judiciary. They're taking one thing after the next, and this has been going on for years. I mean, they tried it back in seven to the 1760s with the Stamp Act and all the rest of it. This has been going on for a long, long time. These people have been watching their rights being tried to, tried to be stripped away by this tyrant, and so they are on edge. So when they hear something like this happens, they're going to react. It's going to happen, and it's not their fault. It's real easy to blame them for it. Oh my gosh, how reactionary. They shouldn't have got up and marched so quickly. They should have asked questions first. Really? When you've got reports of military operating in the dead, would you wait? I, I don't know that I would. Again, these, this isn't the kick the can down the road generation. This is, this is the get up and do something generation, but do it thoughtfully. And they did. Once they found out there was nothing wrong. All right, all right, boys, let's, let's go back to our house quietly. Nothing to see here. And everything was fine. So you can't be having these government actions that go on in the middle of the night, in the dark of night, when nobody's watching. You can't have it. Now, let's, let's deal with this. This uh, concept of the seizing of powder. Quote, Reports flew through the country that he was disarming the inhabitants of Boston and seizing all of the ammunition through the province. End quote. General Gage was neither the first, probably, nor the... I don't know if he was the first, honestly. He may have been the first, but he definitely is not the last. In the colonies, and he's certainly not the first in history, but he may have been the first in the colony of Massachusetts. But he definitely would not be the last person to threaten to seize ammunition and weapons from the people of Massachusetts. Is he? He's not the last one to do it. It's happened since then. And it's happened over and over and over again. And the reaction of the people is typically about the same. It has been since 1774, at least amongst a lot of the people. Not everybody, because a lot of people are too busy watching Netflix. Or they simply don't care. They don't understand. Because, because, again, if you don't study this history, how in the world do you know that this is a problem when tyrants start doing this? The Founding Fathers are telling you that this is a problem. 4,000 patriots don't show up at Cambridge because they're bored and have nothing better to do. These, are, these were hard-working farmers. These people back then didn't have a lot of spare time like we do today. These people didn't live super comfortable lives. They just didn't. This was, this was hard times. Some These guys lived not too terribly far from the frontier. And again, there's a lot of people who have experience, who were alive at this time, who have experience from the French and Indian War that happened really just a few miles down the road, relatively speaking. It wasn't, it wasn't like two miles down the road. It was a little further out than that. You get the idea. So they don't show up for no reason. This is serious business to them. They know that when a tyrant starts doing stuff like that, you have to act. You have to do something about it. You have to get out there and you have to start asking some questions. And if you have to march 4,000 patriots down to Cambridge to square off with the army, then that's exactly what you do. Because that's exactly what they did. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Do you think there's something wrong with that? You either do or you don't. And if you disagree with me, honestly, that's perfectly fine. If you can string together a rational argument for that, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. I'm certainly not going to yell at you for it. I'm just going to disagree with you and say you're dead wrong. And why do I think that? Why do I think you're dead wrong? Because the founding fathers say you're wrong. That's why. And not just one of them, not just two of them, but 4,000 of them at the very least. Not to mention the ones who weren't there. John Adams probably would have been out there if he, if he could have been. He was, in, he was in Philadelphia at the Congress. And does anybody doubt that Sam Adams would have been out there with these guys? He probably would have been at the head of the party. 
So, you know, and you and does anybody wonder, people still to this day, because again, the only people who wonder why the Second Amendment to the Constitution is there are people who don't read history, or they're too incompetent to understand it, one of the two. You really have to read this stuff and, and to know why they felt this way. And connect the dots, folks. It's not just this one letter. It's what Mrs. Adams was talking about in Sparta and selling liberty for peace and the tyrant. And it's, it's about, it's about Rome, it's about Greece and Sparta, and it's about the British Empire and all these things going all the way back to the Magna Carta and Britain. It's all these things, all connected together that tell us that when, when a tyrant starts doing stuff like we hear described in this letter, it's a big doggone problem. And we know exactly why the Second Amendment is there. Whether you're for it or against it, there's a reason why it's there. And, you know, if you, if you don't want to acknowledge why it's there, you're just denying history at this point. It's one thing to disagree with it. It's another thing to just deny why it's there. And I'm not harping on this because I'm some, you know, you know big pro-gun guy and I'm trying to make some kind of a political point here. This isn't politics as much as it is just reality. You think these people out here and four, these 4,000 people who gathered at Cambridge to defend their rights, do you think they were particularly political about this? Or do you, you, know, or do you think they were just trying to defend their rights? Because they knew how important they were. These people were much more connected to their rights than we are. I would argue that. Because during this particular time in the world, there was a whole lot of people who didn't have these kind of rights. And the, the world was a fairly dark place most days. And it's, it's a pretty dark place these days, too. Don't get me wrong. But these people understood you start taking away these liberties and these rights, it can get very bad very fast for people. And, you know, it's not that hard. It, it wasn't outside these people's thoughts that uh, the military, you know, if they don't have the right to defend themselves, somebody could come in there and exterminate them because it had happened before. You think these people didn't know that? It wasn't actually that long before this in Russia. Uh, there was a czar. Uh, you folks would, would probably recognize the name. You ever hear the name of Ivan the Terrible? Ivan the Terrible. You know, he had a group of uh, folks called the Oprichniki. And it was basically like a, a, a personal little army of his. Some people would describe it as a, a, a police of sorts. But it, honestly, in my humble opinion, it was really military more than it was police. He sent these people out into the countryside to basically exterminate people, to, to murder whole swaths of people. And, and they did it. I, I believe in episode 13, you know, about the well-regulated militia, I really, dr I really talked about that a bit. And I try. I, I, I suggested to the folks who are against the Second Amendment and who don't understand why it's there to before you actually settle on that, you might want to actually do yourself and everybody else a favor and crack open a frickin' history book and start reading, which is something most of those folks have never done before in their life, and actually read about all of the times that militaries have taken to the field to murder their own people. And Ivan the Terrible and the Oprichniki is just one example of that. It's one random example out of the course of history. And I gave you a list of other militaries that had done it before, including the British Empire. You think the British military has never been dispatched out to murder their own people? It's happened more than once. And you think it can't happen today. You, you, you are absolutely delusional. And I hate to revisit again episode 13 because it's there for everybody to see. But this is life and death we're talking about here. And you're talking, and I, I have to pay honor in some respect to the many hundreds of thousands, if not millions and millions of people throughout the course of history who have been murdered at the hands of their country's own military. We have to recognize these people for the sacrifice that they gave so that we could learn the lesson. Otherwise, we disrespect them, and we disrespect the sacrifice. Now, you want to disrespect that sacrifice, and you want to you wanna just ignore it like it never happened, I suppose you can go about doing that. You know, it's your right to do it. 
but I'm not going to. And if you get upset at me mentioning this on this on this podcast, if it upsets your delicate sensibilities, well then all of history is going to upset your delicate sensibilities. And you've got you've got no time to to talk about Ivan the Terrible and his apprichniki that went out to murder many thousands of people. I actually heard a, I heard a report one time from from one historian that almost villages were almost completely exterminated up to like eighty percent or something like that in some cases. And the founding fathers, you think these the, again all these people had to do with their free time was spend time with their families and read books for the most part. They again not a lot of movies to watch. Not a lot of baseball games to go to. You know what I mean? And so these you think these people didn't understand the story of Ivan the Terrible and people like him? Maybe not that in that, that example specifically, but they surely knew of a lot of people like him. Like we like we read over the last few episodes, we've talked about this. Why was Mrs. Adams talking about Greece? Why was Mr. Tudor talking about Rome? Because they read their history, that's why. And people who read their history know how important this particular issue is. They know. Instinctively, they just know. And people who don't read history don't know. And the, the unfortunate part of that is they, they end up inflicting that on everybody around them. Their, their ignorance serves as not just a weapon against themselves, but a weapon against everybody else around them. Now, let me, let me read another letter to you about this same issue. This is going to give us just a little bit more context beyond what we've talked about already. This is from William Tudor, our, our friend Mr. William Tudor. He, boy, he's just going to keep popping up over and over again, isn't he? And he's writing to Abigail Adams on September the 3rd of 1774 about this issue. Quote, Pray let your fears subside about tumults. There have been none. There was an assembly of 4,000 patriots at Cambridge yesterday where the utmost regularity was observed, and after finishing their business, they all repaired to their homes in quiet, end quote. He's just saying it again. These 4,000 patriots turned out. They found out there was much ado about nothing, so they went back quietly. Simple enough. But they were ready to be there if they needed to be. And there's this line here, quote, where the utmost regularity was observed, end quote. Regularity. What does that mean? What does that sound like? Regularity. Does that sound like a well-regulated militia to you? There it is again. And what was it? It was 4,000 patriots. If ever again you had a question about what the well-regulated militia is, there you go. It's all over the place. George Washington knew what it was. Mr. William Tudor knew what it was. Everybody knew what it was. It's only in today's time that people really start asking questions about this because, again, they don't crack open a history book. Or they don't, they don't join us on this study group that we have on this podcast. I do think of this a little bit like a study group. They don't join us here on our study group and study the history of the Founding Fathers like you folks are. I mean, it, it's just sad. And you really got to get the word out to people about the podcast for if for no other reason than that. Again, people are just going to continue harming themselves and harming other people if they don't know history. Because people who have absolutely no knowledge of history are a harm to society. I firmly believe that. And some people are going to say, Oh, Roman, that's too extreme. How dare you? Oh, my goodness. You, people who don't understand history are harm to society around them? Yes. Yes, they are. They're a danger to society. Why? Because they walk around blithely ignorant of any lesson from history, and they are practically doomed to repeat every single mistake throughout the course of history that they possibly can in their lives, to the extent that they can actually make those mistakes. Any t any t in other words, any time history gives them the opportunity to make the same mistake again, they're going to do it. I mean, a broken clock is right twice a day, so sometimes they won't, but you get the idea. Now let's, let's continue with Mr. Tudor here and his update on the uh, situation that happened at Cambridge. Quote, They procured a resignation from Danforth Lee and Oliver under their hands of their seats at the board made Phillips ask pardon for being concerned in the removal of the powder, and swear that he would be no ways instrumental in executing the tyrannic parliamentary edicts. Brattle had wisely got out of their reach. 
his infamous billet to General Gage, and address of yesterday to the public enclosed. What will be his fate at present is uncertain, end quote. So he's basically saying that there are a bunch of people very apologetic about what happened and making assurances that they, you know, in this case, wouldn't be executing tyrannical parliamentary edicts. And it's, it mentions this guy Brattle. Quote, Brattle had wisely got out of their reach, end quote. That is to say, he got out of the reach of the 4,000 patriots. He, he ran, he ran for, his, <laughs> for his own personal safety, as he probably perceived it. He didn't want to get caught up in this, uh, in this group of 4,000 patriots, and, and understandably so. He was known as being the instigator of what General Gage did. So this, this Brattle character is actually a general who was believed to have instigated this raid in Massachusetts to collect the powder. I call it a raid. It really wasn't a raid. It was a bunch of... So now, we know that now, of course, in early September of, of 1774. The Founding Fathers didn't know that. They, they, they eventually found out, of course. They went to go find out, and they did. It was really just an expedition out to get this powder, but it looked like a raid, the way that they did it. And Brattle had written a letter to Gage about something that really got Gage instigated towards doing this. And I, good news, ladies and gentlemen, I have a copy of the letter, and I'm going to read it to you. And this is a letter from General Brattle at Cambridge to General Gage, and it was written on August the 26th of 1774. Quote, Mr. Brattle presents his duty to His Excellency Governor Gage. He apprehends it is his duty to acquaint His Excellency from time to time of everything he hears and knows to be true, and is of importance in these troubled times, which is the apology Mr. Brattle makes for troubling the general with this letter. Captain Mino of Concord, a very worthy man, this minute informed Mr. Brattle that there had been repeatedly made pressing applications to him to warn his company to meet at one minute's warning, equipped with arms and ammunition, according to law. He had constantly denied them, adding if he did not gratify them, he should be constrained to quit his farms and town. Mr. Brattle told him he had better do that than lose his life and be hanged for a rebel. He had observed that many captains had done it, and though not in that regiment which he belonged, which was and is under Colonel Elijah Jones, but in a neighboring regiment. Mr. Brattle begs leave humbly to choir whether it would not be best that there should not be one commissioned officer of the militia in the province. This morning the selectmen of Medford came and received their town stock of powder, which was in the arsenal on Quarry Hill so that there is now therein the king's powder only, which shall remain there as a sacred depositum till ordered out by the captain general. To his excellency, General Gage. End quote. So he's basically, just, that's a fairly lengthy letter, he's basically updating General Gage as to what's going on here. There's a few things to note here. I mean, General Brattle refers to the times as, quote, troublesome times, end quote. So he, he, obviously everybody's aware that we, we have ourselves a problem here. Um, of course, for different reasons on both sides. And General Brattle, by the way, is on the side of the tyrant King George III. But he's basically saying here, that this is the meat of it here, right at the end of this letter, quote, this morning, the selectmen of Medford came and received their town stock of powder, which was in the arsenal on Quarry Hill, so that there is now therein the king's powder only, which shall remain there as a sacred depositum till ordered out by the captain general, end quote. So, he's basically saying that the townsfolk came and got their powder, and now the king's powder is there only. And this is what instigated General Gage to basically send his boys out there to collect their powder, the king's powder. I don't know whether he thought the townsfolk were going to steal it or what, but he decided to secure it and take it. Just like the townsfolk came and secured their powder. They, the townsfolk probably thought the same thing. They probably thought, we better go get our powder out of there uh, because the king's troops have access to that location. Maybe we should go get our powder out of there just in case. Let that be a lesson to you, 
everybody around the world, especially in the United States. Keep that in mind. Think about that for a second. There's a lesson to be learned there. So the king went, so, so again, because of this letter, the king went out, or excuse me, not the king, General Gage, went out there to collect his powder. Okay. And, and we all know that that's much to do about nothing. And it is. It was, it's, if, it's, if it is the military's store of powder, it is within the military's right to go out there and collect it, take it back to Boston, King, wherever they want to take it. I don't care. Nobody cares. And, and the, honestly, the, uh, the people of Massachusetts didn't care. They, they went out there and talked to the people at Cambridge about it, and they shrugged their shoulders, and they went, oh, okay, you collect your own powder. Let's go back. Let's, let's leave now, folks. There's nothing here. Nothing to see here. Fantastic. But now you know how it all got started. You know the backstory. Okay. Because, because General Brattle got all, he, he felt it necessary to mention it in this letter. He got all worked out about the selectmen of Medford coming to take their powder. Who cares? If it's the town's powder, it's the town's powder. Let them take it. Only tyrants get worked up about this stuff, folks. Again, I want you, this is a good lesson to learn here. The only time anybody gets upset about the people of the town, the individual citizen, whoever coming and collecting their powder and, or, or, or gathering munitions and, and, and provisioning it, this, that, and the other thing, is when a tyrant doesn't want them to have it because he wants to be able to ride roughshod over the people. That's it. Right then and that's it. Simple enough, simple enough story to be told there. Over and over again throughout history. I mean, maybe if the people of Russia had had a store of powder. But of course, this was a long time ago. Ivan the Terrible, by the way, this was back in the 1500s. It wasn't like, you know, people commonly had arms back then. This was, this is back during the very early days of firearms for even the military, to be honest with you. But, um, if the people of Russia had had firearms at the time, during the, in the 1500s, during the reign of Ivan the Terrible, you think maybe the Oprichniki would have been a little bit more bashful about wandering out to the countryside to exterminate people? Probably. And isn't that the whole point? Isn't it a good thing when governments, when tyrants, be it Ivan the Terrible or King George III or some Roman emperor, are a little bit more bashful about wandering out into the countryside to exterminate people? I think that's a good thing. But some people disagree with that. Some people think apparently it's a good thing for militaries to wander out to the countryside to exterminate people. I, I don't know why, but apparently that's a thing. I don't think it should be a thing, but that's just me. Uh, you can disagree. And again, if you, if you disagree with me, leave a review on the podcast and, and tell me how you feel. I like constructive criticism as much as I like anything else, but I, I feel like I'm in good company here. I've got, at, at the very least, I've got 4,000 patriots from 1774 who are on my side, not to mention the likes of George Washington, John Adams, and uh, Samuel Adams, and the rest. Most of the rest. I, I feel like I'm in very, very good company. And with that said, uh, we are going to conclude this section of the podcast. I'm going to have my concluding remarks in the next section. I'll keep those brief because we're going a little long again in the podcast, I think. But uh, I'll have my concluding remarks in the next section. Let's do that right now. All right. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the podcast. It is a great pleasure, as always, to have had you here to study this information with me. And, it, you know, I, I do firmly, I say this, you know, on every other episode or so. I really do believe the Founding Fathers would thank you for being here as well. I don't I don't know that um, any group of people that went through what those folks went through, getting shot at by, by British soldiers and a great many tens of thousands of them being killed, murdered, and tortured at the hands of the British military. I don't know that any generation like that likes to slip into obscurity and be forgotten forever. And for good reason. I want you to think about that. And, you know, next time somebody says to you, oh, I don't want to study that information, or I, I don't like to study history, and I don't I don't want to listen to that podcast or any podcast about history, blah, 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 blah. You might ask them that question. I might ask them, you know, if you if you actually had to had to do something, you know, like fight for your rights in some particular kind of way, 
and not even in a military sense, but I mean, say you're captured by the, the people who are threatening your rights and your liberties. You are captured by these people and you are tortured uh, for an extensive period of time and murdered, along with a great many other people who you call your friends. Would you want to just be, just have time, just forget you ever existed and just ignore that sacrifice and move on with their life and not learn the lesson of what you sacrificed and what you went through? Or what about your, what about your family member? What if it was your family, your children that went through that? Your family were captured, tortured, brutally killed at the hands of uh, some aggressor, foreign aggressor, whatever, what have you. Would you want their memory to just be completely lost forever, slip into obscurity like, like it never happened? Because that's what we're talking about here. That's why we're here. And I hate to paint such a gruesome picture for you. I, I know, folks, I'm, I'm sure everybody would like history to be a little bit more lighthearted than it is. But unfortunately, they're, they're, I mean, there's some funny points in history. Even with the Founding Fathers, there's some humor to be had there, especially with Benjamin Franklin. Uh, he Some of what that guy did, he was, he was a really funny guy at times. But... So, you know, these guys were, this was a serious issue. I mean, these guys are getting ready to fight a war that lasts for a, a number of years. And it's fairly, it's fairly difficult and, and dark at times. And I, sometimes it's, you know, in history movies and history documentaries often paint it with, you know, patriotic music. And there's, you know, everything's kind of, you know how the story's going to end. And there's going to be all these people at the end of it who have their freedom and their liberty. And it's all great and wonderful. But I tell you what, at the time, these people, these people were like staring down the barrel of the apocalypse. Once this thing really got going, once it once the the battle got started, I mean, you know, once the British troops start, you know, taking to the hills outside of Boston and, and shooting and and killing a, a great many people, it got real serious real fast. And you know, we can we have you know, it's it's just it's one of those things that we got to study, you know, if we want to be informed people. And you folks, you know, do your whoever you are, you know, listening to this podcast in the United States or outside the United States, you do your country a great credit by being here. And again, that's not me saying how great I am in this, how great this podcast. It's not about me. It's about you. You are here studying information that the founding fathers gave us, and you're doing it because you you're just interested in it. Uh, it's a personal curiosity of yours. Or you think you can apply it to inform your experience and the people, your community around you. Maybe you think you can take the information and, and pass it along to your children. You can raise better children who also know something about history. Maybe you believe you can use it to serve your country and fight for your rights and make sure that your rights are honored as they're established in the Constitution or whatever formal document you might be working with around the world. Or maybe you want to want to amend those rights in some particular kind of way, and you you want to you maybe we should have more liberties or this that and the other thing. You're you're using this podcast as some kind of inspiration for that, or to gain information about that. how did the founding fathers think about these things? How should I think about these things? That's a great credit to you folks. That's all about you. You folks are, are the great ones out there, and I I think the fa founding fathers would 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 be very appreciative of you spending your time studying their material. It's not my material. I mean, always keep that in mind. This isn't me. This is them. I I put a little bit of a, a twist on it. I a little bit of a modern context, you know, just just to, to remind you that these lessons are not ancient, they're not forgotten, they're still here, we still have to deal with these issues, and I add in a few other, you know, additional stories, that's the kind of the twist that I add by, by, by talking about Ivan the Terrible. You know, that's not in the letters here that I'm reading, but it's a true story that is really applicable to what these guys were going through. That's what informed their experience, and that's why I'm conveying it to you. Just like Mrs. Adams when she was talking about Sparta a few letters ago as we were talking about that. You know, this isn't Sparta we're talking about. It just, it's, it's that context that informs the experience. That's all I do. I really just do that kind of thing. And other than that, the Founding Fathers are teaching us. Uh, they're teaching me, and they're teaching you. 
and I'm just the uh, the mechanism by which they can do that. I am their uh, conduit in the 21st century, and I'm happy to do It's an honor, frankly, for me to be able to do that. It's, it's uh, frankly, one of the high honors of my life to be able to do that. And um, it's a great honor for me to be able to do that with folks like yourself. Really, really happy that you folks are here with me to study this information, as always. And so with that said, I, I'm definitely going to look forward to seeing you folks on the next episode of this podcast. Uh, the next episode, of course, again, we're going to our new schedule. Uh, not schedule, I guess. Schedule is going to be the same. It's going to be Monday and Thursday episodes. But the Thursday episode, again, is going to be a shorter episode, just kind of a recap of things we've talked about before. Or I will t- make I will give you a short synopsis on something I'm thinking about about the Founding Fathers or a particular quote that I saw that I find interesting uh, out of something I read out of my books or whatever. And I will, um, I'll convey that to you on Thursday. Uh, we're coming up on a holiday. Uh, honestly, the holidays, I should say, not just a holiday. It's the holidays, plural. Uh, we kind of, we kind of entered that with Thanksgiving and then it continues on uh, across the month of December and then eventually into January and so on and so forth. But, uh, I certainly hope, uh, whatever holiday it is that you're celebrating in the coming weeks, uh, just like with Thanksgiving, I hope you have a good one. And, uh, if you, uh, if you're, you know, run across any family that you're gathering with on the holiday and you think they might be somebody who has been interested in the founding, uh, who's interested in learning more about the Founding Fathers, feel free to pass along the podcast to them. I do count on you folks in some regard to spread the word about the podcast and, and to help uh, market the podcast in some regard, because I have limit, very limited time to be able to do that. Uh, but thank you so very much for doing that, those of you who are doing it. Uh, I'm really very appreciative of that. And uh, with that said, I will conclude this episode. Thank you for joining me. Looking forward to the next episode. As always, this is Roman signing off. Thank you. Thank you.